0: Chapter Seven Part One of the Making of a Nation. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Making of a Nation The Beginnings of Israel's History by Charles Foster Kent. Chapter Seven Part One A Successful Man of Affairs. Joseph's Achievements Genesis 37, 39 through 48, 50. Parallel Readings History of the Bible 1, 121 through 150. Hastings' Dictionary of the Bible 2, 770 through 772. Emerson Essay on Character. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his other children because he was the son of his old age and he had made him a long tunic with sleeves and when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his other sons they hated him and could not speak to him but jehovah was with joseph so that he became a prosperous man and was in the house of his master the egyptian when his master saw that jehovah was with him and that Jehovah caused everything that he did to prosper in his hands, Joseph found favor in his eyes, as he ministered to him, so that he made him overseer of his house, and all that he had he put in his charge and Jehovah was with Joseph and showed kindness to him, and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison, so that the keeper of the prison gave to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the prison and for whatever they did he was responsible and pharaoh said to joseph see i have appointed you over all the land of egypt and pharaoh took off his signet ring from his finger and put it upon joseph's finger and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck and made him ride in the second chariot which he had then they cried before him, Bow the knee. Thus he set him over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh also said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your consent shall no man lift up his hand or his foot in all the land of Egypt. Historical Bible. For what is a man profiteth, if he shall gain the whole world, and lose his own soul? Matthew sixteen thirty-six men at some time are masters of their fates the fault dear brutus is not in our stars but in ourselves that we are underlings shakespeare julius caesar act one score two line one thirty nine i find the great thing in this world is not so much where we stand as in what direction we are moving to reach the port of heaven we must sail sometimes with the wind and sometimes against it, but we must sail and not drift, nor lie at anchor. O. W. Holmes He that respects himself is safe from others. He wears a coat of mail that none can pierce. It is more important to make a life than to make a living. Ex-Governor Russell of Massachusetts The Qualities Essential to Success the late samuel l clemens mark twain advised a young man who desired to enter business to select the firm with which he wished to be associated then ask that they give him work without mentioning the subject of compensation having secured this opportunity to demonstrate his ability and willingness to work recognition would come in due time this advice received the approval of many prominent businessmen it concretely illustrates the fact that the first essential of success is the willingness to serve it also emphasizes the necessity of being ready to do the work in accordance with the employer's wishes ultimate success also requires knowledge and trained ability these however come through apprenticeship and a faithful improvement of opportunities the hebrew sages with true insight emphasize the importance of knowledge But they taught also that wisdom, which is not only knowledge, but the power to apply it practically in the various relations of life, was far more important. What other qualities are essential to the highest success? Is it very important that a man should have the right moral standards? How do a man's habits affect his efficiency? IS IT ONLY THE GENIUS WHO IS ABLE TO ATTAIN THE HIGHEST SUCCESS TODAY IN BUSINESS AND PROFESSIONAL LIFE? DO YOU ACCEPT GEORGE Eliot's DEFINITION OF GENIUS AS THE CAPACITY FOR UNLIMITED WORK? TO WHAT EXTENT DOES A MAN'S FAITH IN GOD AND IN HIS FELLOW MEN DETERMINE HIS ABILITY TO WIN SUCCESS? HOW FAR ARE THEY ESSENTIAL TO THE ATTAINMENT OF THE HIGHEST TYPE OF SUCCESS? the limitations and temptations of joseph's early life the hebrew sage who uttered the prayer remove far from me falsehood and lies give me neither poverty nor riches feed me with the food that is needful for me proverbs thirty eight voiced a great economic as well as moral principle the men who are handicapped today in the race for success are either those who are born in homes of extreme poverty or of extreme wealth, where they are unnaturally barred or shielded from the real problems and tasks of life. Which is probably the greater handicap? To which class did Joseph belong? In what ways did his father show his favoritism towards Joseph? The Hebrew word rendered in the older translations, coat of many colors, means literally, Long sleeved tunic. This garment, like those worn by wealthy Chinese when in native costume, distinguished the rich or the nobility, who were not under the necessity of engaging in manual labor. The dreams which Joseph told to his brothers reveal his high estimate of his own importance and were probably suggested by his father's attitude toward him. They were indeed a revelation of the ambitions already stirring in the young boy's mind but Joseph required closer contact with real life in order to transform his ambitions into actual achievements. Joseph gave his brothers cause for hatred toward him, but their action in selling him to the Ishmaelites was by no means justifiable. Nevertheless, it brought to Joseph the experiences and opportunities absolutely essential to the attainment of his ultimate success often what seem man's greatest misfortunes are in reality the door that opens to the new and larger opportunities in what two ways may a man meet misfortune the call of a great opportunity egypt with its marvelous natural resources its peculiar climate its irrigation which usually guarantees good crops and its versatile people has always been preeminently the land of opportunity. Especially was this true during the reigns of the powerful despots of the 18th dynasty, when the relations between Egypt and Palestine were exceedingly close. Thus, for example, according to contemporary records, during the reign of the great reformer king, Amenhotep IV, several Semites rose to positions of great authority. A certain Dudu, David, was one of the most trusted officials of this king he is addressed by one of the egyptian governors as my lord my father another semite named Yanhamu not only had control of the storehouses of grain in the eastern part of the nile delta but also directed the egyptian rule of palestine the local governors of palestine refer to him in terms which suggest that his authority was almost equal to that of pharaoh himself this was perhaps the joseph of the biblical account is there any evidence that joseph complained because of the injustice of his brothers by loyal attention to his duties he made himself indispensable to his egyptian master a great temptation came to him in the new home what influences led him to resist this temptation analyze his probable motives in detail the great injustice which he suffered and the seeming misfortune proved in turn a new door of opportunity but this would not have been the case had not joseph forgotten his own personal wrongs and given himself to the service of his fellow-prisoners was the prosperity which generally attended joseph a miraculous gift or the natural consequences of his courageous helpful spirit and his skill in making the best of every situation in modern life as in the ancient story the place usually seeks the man who is fitted to fill it the ever-recurring complaint of employers is the scarcity of good men especially of men able to exercise discretion in positions of responsibility was it joseph's skill in interpreting pharaoh's dreams or his wise counsel in suggesting methods of providing for the people during famine that gave him his position of high trust and authority was the policy which made pharaoh practical owner of all the land first instituted by joseph or was it already in force in egypt historical bible 1 133 in the thought of the prophetic narrative Was Joseph's fiscal system regarded as evidence of his loyalty to his master, rather than of disloyalty to the interests of the people? Was the system suited to that stage and kind of civilization? Can this be cited by socialists today as a valid argument in favor of public ownership of all land? If not, why not? Three principles illustrated by Joseph's life are true to all time. 1. The only successful way to forget one's own burdens is to help bear another's. 2. God makes all things work together for good to those that love Him. 3. He alone who improves the small opportunities will not miss the great chances of life. End of chapter 7, part 1. Recording by Selina Arder.